I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast, where we look at the things that we loved when we were younger and ask the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and with me, the blushing bride himself, Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Is that what brides sound like? I don't know. You tell me. You're the one who got married last week. It's true. Um... As a groom, if we want to be technical, um, and it was awesome, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. We congratulated you last week. You weren't here, uh, but we'll do it now live on the show. Phil sends his regards as well. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it was a really exciting time. Beautiful, simple ceremony with maybe some Zoom issues because we had it on Zoom. Um and but i mean overall just was really beautiful simple sweet and and then i got to see or we got to see i should say where are we now uh i have no singular identity uh we saw niagara falls which was really cool awesome and uh great nick i'm moving on now so i'm gonna introduce <laughs> our guest this is not the life and times of nick shermooks in this podcast we record that after this this is the one where we bring on a guest who brings us a topic, and our guest this week is Rick Garrett from Rick's Rambles. Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and Nick, congratulations. That is awesome news. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah. David, I want to know, how long did it take you to learn how to pronounce Nick's last name? Oh, I mean, Nick and I knew each other for probably a long time before we ever had to pronounce each other's last names um, so i don't i don't know i've i've known how to pronounce it for the better part of i mean i don't know 15 years at this point i don't i don't want to think in terms of of that timeline <laughs> no it's it's a last name that um uh, every first day of school was always torture you know because oh, you had yeah. to get through the surmuxness the so i got like a surmuxness once i'm like where did that extra income from um so I'm used to it. You can call me whatever you want, Rick. Thank you. <laughs> and and now your beautiful bride will have a lifetime of that to look forward to as well. Well, I, I no, mean, no, she, she, she saw is, the writing she, on the wall and kept her own. Last I, was, name. I was going to say, you know, it's I I don't know why. I think just growing up in kind of a conservative household, I still kind of have that mindset kind of like pre built in. But I I was trying to catch myself before you <laughs> were like, no, David, it is. It is the current times. Women can do whatever they want with their names, and they can. <laughs> let's let's move on to the subject <laughs> rick brought the subject this week we are discussing creature from the black lagoon after discovering strange remains in the amazon dr carl maya i uh, maya i should have figured out how to say that before we got to this point recruits his former student dr david reed and david's associate and girlfriend Kay lawrence for an expedition to find out more about them their journey takes them to the Black Lagoon, where a strange creature awaits. <sighs> this is the part of the show where we discuss our own personal histories with the topic. Rick, you brought 
this movie here. What, what, is, what is your history with Creature from the Black Lagoon, and why did you want to discuss it on the show? Well, I'll tell you a little bit of my history with the movie. So, David, you mentioned growing up in kind of a conservative household. I grew up in an ultra, ultra conservative household. So I grew up in a church where uh, we didn't have televisions and we didn't have radios. Uh, we didn't play cards. We didn't dance. I kind of like to describe it as being Amish, but we had light bulbs. That's kind of the way that I grew up. <laughs> Important <laughs> distinction. That's right. That's right. But I had an uncle, my favorite uncle, who was kind of the bad uncle. He had a TV. Ooh. Yeah. And I would go spend Saturday nights with him and we would do two things. We would watch wrestling. He loved <laughs> wrestling. Now this was back in the you know early 1960s. Uh, guys like you know Dick the Bruiser and Yukon Moose Cholock and all those classic wrestlers. And then in Indianapolis, there was a horror host uh, called named Sammy Terry. Kind of a takeoff <laughs> on Cemetery. Get it? That's Sammy really Terry. Oh my gosh. And he played all. Yeah, go look, go to uh, go to the, that Google thing and look up uh, Sammy Terry. There's great pictures and video clips and so on. So he played all these old monster and horror movies, everything from uh, you know Dracula the 1930s up through uh, about the mid 1950s, early 1960s. And I got absolutely hooked on those movies, and that's a, a passion that you know has followed me till to this day. Um, and this is the first horror slash monster movie I ever recall seeing. I, I may have seen some before, but this is the first one that I ever recall seeing. And it scared the dickens out of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it fascinated me, too. I just loved everything about this movie. I love the way it was photographed. I love the musical score. I love the story behind it. Um, we lived uh, kind of way out in the middle of nowhere, uh, and our backyard ended in a creek. Um, and it was about two or three years after I saw this movie before I'd go out and wade in the creek again. I was afraid <laughs> that hand was going to come up and grab me by the ankle. That's understandable. Fair. Yeah. I am looking at Sammy Terry right now. Um, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. I will. Definitely... Oh my gosh. He was amazing. He actually, his name was Bob Carter. Uh, mm -hmm. that was his real name. And he owned a music store here in Indianapolis, a uh, very accomplished musician, did a lot of work with schools and so on. Uh, and my wife actually uh, was in his store. And I don't know if you've, so you've seen pictures of him now. Yes. Uh, try to find a recording of his iconic laugh. He had this kind of deep, guttural, spooky laugh. And she said, you know, when he was not in character, even when he laughed, you knew it was him. Wow. That's great. I will definitely post some uh, some images. And if I can find a video of that laugh, I'll... I'll put that in there as well. He looks like quite the character. My favorite part... Oh, he was. He had a spider. That was his sidekick. Yes. The spider's name was George. And he went around and did personal appearances at you know movie theaters. He would take the Sammy Terry show and uh, go, to the, go to a drive-in and do like a triple feature of horror movies and come out between the movies and do a little shtick. Um, and now his son actually is carrying on the tradition. Yeah. And uh, Sammy Terry has risen from the grave, as it were. And is again making uh, appearances here in Indianapolis and in Central Indiana. Yeah, yeah, I see. He's had a, a few in within the last, you know, in, in recent memory at least. But I, I was going to say my favorite part of this Wikipedia article is that in-universe information for the character that their family listed is a floating rubber spider named George. 
Yes, uh, George was awesome. <laughs> George is a very important part of it. You can't forget George. Yes, yes. So, you know, so that was a Saturday night tradition with my uncle Bob and I. We would watch Sammy Terry and eat some popcorn. And, um, you know, I would go to bed and pull the covers up over my head because I was scared. <laughs> you know, I was just a little kid. Uh, so now there's a horror host out of Chicago whose name is Finn Gooley. Um, uh, I'm not going to give his, uh, his real name, although it's readily available out there. And he does shows on MeTV, which is a nationwide network, every Saturday night. And there is a Twitter party, a Twitter watch party with Sven Gulli, uh, and thousands of us hop on Twitter on Saturday nights and tweet, you know, live tweet these old classic horror movies. And Creature from the Black Lagoon actually is in, in his rotation. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. That is, I love that stuff like that still exists. Oh my gosh, and, me too. Has a, has a place, even in this, you know, age. It's great. And we actually, my wife and I went up and, uh, and met Sven Gulli, uh, I think it was 2008, uh, 2017, uh, 2018. And, uh, you know, just as nice as could be. Um, it was, it was a great experience. So it's kind of a way for me to relive my childhood, which is getting more and more in the distant past as we go. I think we we're all know. searching for that on some level. I think we are, you know, I think that's why nostalgia is so popular. Um, we realize that, that we're not getting any younger and we, we kind of want to go back to those carefree days. Oh, oh yeah. I think, I think that's, that's something we've talked about on here. And we've guessed that on some other shows where we kind of talked about the psychology of nostalgia. And I think there seems to be, yeah, as you get older, you have so many more responsibilities and you're drawn to the stuff in the past because like, oh, when I used to watch this, you know, a Saturday night at my uncle's house, it was no responsibilities. It was just somebody... Somebody whose uh, whose job at the time was like, I want to make sure this person is having fun. You know, no one's coming right. over to my house right now and being like, we're going to watch horror movies and wrestling. And I kind of like if somebody did. Is that a service I can pay for? I don't know. Let me, <laughs> let me check the Internet. It's great. You know, we live in such a high paced, you know, fast paced, high pressure world. Um, you know, we need those times when we can just kind of let loose, be mindless and, and, and enjoy, you know, and not have to worry about anything. It's true. It's true. Nick, do you have any history with the creature from the Black Lagoon, like the movie and also the creature himself? Like, did you two ever, you know, hang out? No, I mean, he wasn't interested in, in men, um so like mostly i was ignored and or he tried to murder me so like you know we just we didn't really we didn't mingle too much um so i i know of creature of the black lagoon uh never watched it um i am probably mostly really knew about it other than maybe seeing like an old movie poster at like a random movie theater um as i'll as I'll, I'll say in the um uh, the history of the topic shortly. Um, I know that it had come back. There's been attempts to reboot it and such. Um, so other than like following along with that news, I had not had any experience with it. And honestly, it's been a long, long time since I've really watched any media from, you know, probably earlier than the eighties. Um, so this was actually a really interesting experience going like further back uh, and seeing something. Uh, and uh, I guess we'll find out what I thought soon. Yes, the people will want to know. I'm in the same boat as you, probably unsurprisingly, were of similar ages there, where always knew about the creature from the Black Lagoon, um, popped up in a lot of a lot of media, 
uh, lots of jokes made about it. Um, I'm a big fan of the movie Shape of Water, and of course, like Shape of Water is is steeped in in this film. Um, but I never saw this movie myself, and I and I do have a love for older films. You know, Some Like It Hot is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I like watching old horror movies around like Halloween time, like watching the old George Romero zombie flicks is always like a, a real fun <laughs> thing to do. They're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> exactly. And uh, but this was one that that didn't yet make it on my radar. It's one of those ones where I, there's part of me that I don't know. I think because this is such a part of our pop culture, because like this character, this creature is that there's this part of me that never was like, well, I need to go see the movie because I've always kind of like known, you know, I've seen the images of him carrying the woman off into the the water and um, all that kind of stuff. Like I, and there's been sequels and all that. So it's like, just the images have been so much within my life that I never really stopped to be like, well, let me go like check that out. And it was, it was very interesting and very fun to get to do that. Uh, We'll get more into our discussion here in just a minute. Before we do, Nick, can you tell us the world's history with Creature from the Black Lagoon? I can, though. Can I also just say that upon looking at Sammy Terry, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, Rick, but uh, he looks a lot like Drax the Destroyer from Marvel Comics. Like, not <laughs> yes. the movie version, but like the older, maybe 70s, or I'm not sure which decade, uh, like when he was wearing a purple suit. Uh, looks a lot like that Drax. He does. I had not caught that before, but you're absolutely right. I'm glad someone sees what I'm trying to see. Um, Anyway, history of the topic. Uh, Inspiration for the film came from a dinner party in 1941 during the filming of Citizen Kane. So you can thank Citizen Kane for this, I guess. Um, Producer William Aland was speaking with Mexican cinematographer Gabriel Figueroa, who told him about the myth of a race of half-fish, half-human creatures in the Amazon River. Uh, Alan took notes on this, and with additional additional inspiration from Beauty and the Beast, came up with story notes for The Sea Monster. The notes were expanded into a treatment by Maurice Zim, and then Harry Essex and Arthur Ross rewrote it as The Black Lagoon. Jack Arnold, hot off the 3D film House of Wax, was brought on to direct the film in 3D as well. Uh, the Gill Man as the creature was called, was actually designed by Disney animator Millicent Patrick, though her role was downplayed by makeup artist Bud Westmore and for half a century received sole credit for the design. As mentioned earlier, the film was viewed in 3D with audience members using gray polarizing filters to witness the 3D effects. That said, the 3D fab was already fading and most audiences saw the film in 2D. Uh, the film was released in 1954 and spawned two sequels, Revenge of the Creature in 1955 and The Creature Walks Among Us in 1956. There have been many attempts to reboot the franchise, including an attempt by Guillermo del Toro in 2002, which would later develop into the Oscar-winning film The Shape of Water. Hey. Del Toro really wanted the creature to win the girl in the end. Uh, Universal Pictures, I mentioned this earlier, also tried developing a Universal Monsters shared universe series of films, a la Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, which would have included a Black Lagoon reboot film. Alas, we all know how that ended up. (laughs) It's true. And also the second time in recent episodes that we have talked about the failed uh, Monsters universe that Universal attempted. 
it's it's true i mean it, it's 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 a great example of the what, what's the, what's the saying the cart before the horse or something like yeah you know make yeah. good movies first then figure out how they work together exactly exactly I will say with this film, we're not going to talk about failed reboots or anything like that. We're going to talk about this 1954 black and white classic film. Uh, I did not expect it to start with the creation of the world. Uh, Right? Yeah, that was just kind of a funny, you know, I mean, I didn't know really anything about the story, but the movie starts and it's like, ah, the world was without form and void. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. We're getting biblical just right right here at the start. (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually love the opening of this movie because of that, um, because the you know the creature is very primordial, very ancient looking, um, and I I think that that opening is really really effective in this movie. I do really love the Doctor because once the world is then created, we fast forward to modern times of the 1950s, and uh, we see the the skeletal hand that is sticking out of the rock that. <laughs> I guess they just walked up and found, I don't know. I'm not going to like it, judge the logic of this movie. I just think it's funny that it was just sticking straight out of the rock. Um, really good looking piece though. Like really good effort, whoever made that prop. And I'd love that the the doctor is just like kind of looking at it a little bit and then just yanks it out of there. And it's like, well, I'm going to go check this thing out. It's like, it's, it's a scientific sure. method to yeah. just yank things without proper yeah. observation. Yeah. I guess this is where Indiana Jones got it from <laughs> that archaeology is a really hands on sport. <laughs> oh, well played. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I knew there was a pun there. I just couldn't put my finger on it. I will, I will say it was entirely unintentional. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of hands, then we got that, that really good. The, the creature hand reaching out and scratching along the ground. And um, I watched this movie like in the middle of the day, not really the best like horror movie like setting, but I could really appreciate it. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's a well done tease of a monster. Mm-hmm. So you just get, get a glimpse of it reaching out. I, I think, I, Oh, go ahead, Rick. I, I, I love that scene. And, and, you know, I mentioned not wanting to go waiting in the Crick after seeing this movie and, and I think that's why, you know, I, I just had this vision of this hand reaching up and grab, grabbing me by the ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I finally did go back in the water, you know, every time I would, uh, you know, drag my foot across a piece of moss or, you know, aquatic plant, <laughs> I, I jumped a little bit. Yeah, I was, I was going to say later on when um, when Kay is in the, the water and kind of swing around, which I love that they're on this expedition, they're like, but, you know, bring swimsuits in case you just want to go for a dip in the Amazon River. But the creature's, like, kind of pawing at her and are just, like, barely touching her. And that totally would make you think, you know, after seeing this, the next time that you're in there and just some plant brushes by you, you're like, okay, something's trying to grab me. I got to get out of here right now. You know, every, as a kid, I didn't get this. But, you know, re-watching this movie multiple times as an adult, um, for 1954, when it was released, th- that was a pretty racy scene. You know, you've got a human and a non-human kind of suggestively swimming. Um, I am really kind of surprised the censors allowed them to get by with that in, in the <laughs> mid-1950s. Huh. It's true. And I will say, for the character of Kay, she was... 
obviously the sole woman here. Um, and there was a little bit of like, well, we, we want to protect you because we're the big strong men. But they, like, she was very intelligent and she had um, a voice in like the conversations about this creature. Like she would like give her kind of own ideas and theories and nobody was ever like, ah, see here, you crazy broad. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, right. Her character. And that's another be a thing person. I love about this movie is that she wasn't your typical eye candy of the 1950s. Uh, in in so many you know monster movies, the the woman's only job is to run and scream and trip and fall so a guy can come and save her. But like you said, you know she was intelligent. She you know she had a voice. Uh, she came out across as very strong and and independent. Uh, and and. Uh, uh, Julie Adams. Uh, Julie Adams is the actress that that uh, mm-hmm. uh, played uh, Kay, and in one of her interviews, um, she actually got some hate mail because of that. They huh. they felt like she was usurping, I guess is the right word. You know, the men's authority, oh. and of course, this was you know seventy years ago, a very different time mm-hmm. uh, in the world. But uh, it was kind of unusual for that time. Yeah, I believe it, and that's 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 so interesting that people would write to her or write to the studio and be like, can't believe you have a woman displaying intelligence. <laughs> How dare you? Honestly, people probably still do that today. Not even probably. Like, they most definitely do, which yeah. is unfortunate. Um, yeah, no, that I did like that. It was a surprisingly, like, it was a scientific and somewhat progressive film is for, for the day. Like you said, David, it kind of starts with like the formation of the universe and the world. And, um, you know, and obviously then it veers off into like, and fishmen are a thing. Um, <laughs> obviously, but, but other than that, uh, it's, it, it, every character, well, all the, let's just, the, the film has some hangups, uh, all the white characters, um, kind of have something to contribute in a way. All of the non-white characters are basically just there to get murdered. I mean, they do die um, early on. Yes. That well, that in the begin there in the beginning, the doctor uh, Maya was it? Yeah. Um, like that. He leaves. He leaves a couple of guys, assistants or whatever, who are presumably locals um, in Brazil to to keep an eye on the, the the dig site, and you know, then the the creature shows up and slashes them. Um, and also in the film, like the only time like the characters really pause and like reflect on it, I think is when it may have been when, um, what was his name? Not, I can't remember all the characters names, not David, but the, 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 like the, the rival, um, Right, his his friend. I want to say it's like Mark. Yes, but his know. boss. It was more of his boss. His boss, the boss character that was like really gung ho about capturing the monster, so they had proof and could make money. Blah blah blah. You know that art. That stereotypical character. I think when he died, they like really slowed down. I was like, I can't believe it. Or when the other uh, scientist was mauled and left in the the underneath the the ship it was one of those things but other than that like other things sort of like a quick lip service that like one of their brother one of the non-white characters brothers was killed and then of course that brother promptly got killed not long afterwards well well, Um, not not to say they're downplaying the deaths of the non-white characters but they don't see what had happened like they don't know about this monster and what's going on um so when they get there they're like oh well it's the amazon so like a jaguar probably got them Um, right we'll, we'll just be a little bit like extra careful and then it's like later on, once once they know what this thing is, uh, that's when you have David being like, hey, 
let's leave. This is a bad idea. Uh, mm-hmm. This thing is going to kill us. You know, this movie is not a long movie. I, I don't remember what the runtime is. It's, it's like around 75 minutes, minutes yeah, I think. Yeah. Is it? What, it, was what like it was like 120 minutes. No, it's like, no, it's like 84. It's not very long. Really? Yeah. yeah, it's it's oh. it's less than an hour and a half. Um, um, or 79. I lost yeah. my trainer. Oh, and even in that condensed of in that condensed of a time, I feel like they did a really good job of a slow burn. You know, you've got all these events, but you're just seeing some shadows and a hand, and you know, they did a nice job of building suspense. I felt like mm-hmm. there was uh, a, a lot of these, a lot of those uh, '50s science fiction movies. Uh, you know, they they start off with a bang, but this one just kind of started off with a slow burn, and I really like that. Yeah, it did, but also when the, the I, I feel like today when you do a, a something suspenseful, especially like random example, but like a god, like one of some of the the not the most recent one, of course, but like two Godzilla movies ago, um, <laughs> if, if you can remember uh, the one with Aaron Taylor Johnson in it, I remember that like it maybe it was just creative decisions, but there would be like moments where like you know you're you're already like halfway through the movie, Godzilla's tearing crap up, and like you just want to see the action, and then like Godzilla would go to do something cool, and then it would cut to like someone's living room, and you're seeing Godzilla on the TV, uh, like yeah. sort of like cutting corners so that you know um, you don't have to show a giant monster your fight and there right. could be a number of reasons for why they did that but what i liked and i imagine for the time the the gilman the monsters the creature suit was probably expensive to make and maintain and all of that but because the, if you were working with something real you know once the monster you know fully appeared you didn't really have to hide them anymore right yeah and there were there were two suits um there was a a lighter one um like in terms of color um, there was a lighter one so they could sh- shoot it underwater because, you know, there's a lot of underwater shots here, um, which I was kind of surprised by, and a little bit impressed by. And I guess that was a little bit um, revolutionary at the time. Um, but they had to have one that would show up there because it's obviously darker underwater when you're filming. And then they had a uh, a darker one for when he was out. And it was played by two different actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll... I'll pull their names up here ben chapman was on land and mm-hmm. uh riku browning was underwater and i guess ben chapman like went on and kind of had a career of playing this creature on things like abbott and gustello um good gig if you can get it from my understanding and he actually also uh played him in an episode of the monkeys remember that tv show oh, yeah oh that's so go look go look up the creature from the black lagoon on the monkeys that's a great thing to uh, see on youtube that's, gosh that's uh, ridiculous and rico browning was an olympic swimmer and that's why he was chosen for that part yeah, he um, held his breath for up to four minutes underwater yeah, isn't that incredible because they didn't want they because the idea was like the fish man is breathing through the gills so they didn't want air bubbles floating out and coming out so you know they had him holding his breath from like that's crazy right and i don't know about ben but rico is still alive uh and oh, wow. actually up until COVID hit was traveling on the like comic-con circuit the uh, uh pop con and all those different kinds of uh oh, cool shows and was scheduled to be in indianapolis in 2020 and i'm not big on paying for autographs but i was willing to pay for that one but that one sadly got canceled but yeah. uh, he's in his mid-80s and, and is still active he's actually oh, cool. he's 91 now 91 he's, oh my goodness yeah i was looking i looked did look up um 
mostly everybody in this film is dead. Uh, it looks like Rico Browning may, might be the last one. Julie Adams was uh, was alive. Um, she was 92 when she passed in, in 2019. Um, oh, so wow. she's like more recent. But, but, but mostly everybody else was like the, you know, between the 70s and the 90s um, passing. Rest rest their souls in the Black Lagoon. <laughs> sure they Julie passed. had an amazing career, and she credits this movie with making her career. Um, I don't know if, if you look up her film and, and TV episodes, she was Bonanza and the Big Valley and uh, Perry Mason and uh, all kinds of things. And she actually played Nurse Mary on the Andy Griffith show, another one of my favorites. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a, a lot of credits. Um, and I, I read a quote from her um, where she said, you know, no matter how good you are at acting, people will always still come up and be like, Hey, you're Julie Adams from Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> it was the movie that kind of launched her career, but also stuck with her for the right, rest of her right. life. But not, you know, with what we've talked about, where her character wasn't just the typical damsel in distress. And there's some damsel in distress moments, you know, that got to have the, the big, strong men uh, go go save the, the woman, like the vulnerable. Same sort of thing with Jaws, right? Like the opening scene of Jaws right. is like the woman alone where the sharks, because like that feels more vulnerable to us. Like her swimming alone in this movie feels more vulnerable. Um, but she still, you know, got to play a, a kind of different type of character. So re- sure, maybe people were, for the rest of your life going to be like, yeah, you're from you're the woman from the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's like, you, it could be worse. You know, there's other characters that I'm sure were were just the okay, we just want you to scream at this scene right. and collapse in terror. Let's talk a bit about the, the music uh, for this movie. Um, I see here, Rick, that you wrote that's uh, Henry Mancini or Mancini? Man's Henry Mancini was one of the biggest American composers from the early 1950s up through, uh, gosh, at least through the 80s, probably later. Uh, wrote dozens and dozens of film scores um, had some, you know, songs that were uh, number one hits on the radio sung by other artists. And it it kind of struck me funny that his first big break was like this B uh, horror movie. These typically were released in double features um, and, uh, you know, didn't have as big a budget as, you know, like Citizen Kane, which we mentioned uh, earlier in the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's uh, it's always struck me funny that, this guy that has wrote these amazing film scores, I should have looked some of those up, uh, kind of got his start with, with, with this movie. It just kind of shows what this did for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack in this movie is absolutely incredible. It, they just do such a great job of building the atmosphere uh, with, the, uh, with the orchestration and, and with the theme music. I just love it. Yeah, some of his stuff includes uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, um... So the great mouse detective was on there. Uh, Victor Victoria, some of the old Black Panther films, um, which is very amusing to me. But yeah, this was a, a very busy guy doing a lot of um, a lot of these you know big, interesting soundtracks. And I would I would say the music did work pretty well. One thing that surprised me in going back, um, looking at you know what was the reaction to this film at the time? Because watching it now, I see all of this stuff that like th- that happens now in modern monster movies or, you know, not, there's not a ton of modern monster movies, um, but later monster movies and horror movies, you know, when things finally start going bad, they're like, okay, we got to get out of here. We got to leave. And you go and the car won't start 
or uh, they've, you know, something's cut down a tree and it's blocking your path out. Like that happens here. I'm just like, oh, that's like so interesting to see these things play out in a movie, you know, 30 years before they would kind of be in the, the slasher genre. Um, but then finding out that that this film was also considered kind of typical for its time, had more staying power than others, but saw some stuff that was like, yeah, you know, it's a monster movie of the 50s, it's a little bit typical, but it's got some, you know, different new stuff like the underwater shots and all that. So just to see these these things that that still show up in cinema and and would continue for decades after this to have them be happening back in the 1950s, I thought was really interesting. Hmm. It it was really interesting. And this was a different kind of monster movie for the 50s because that was the era when nuclear testing, you know, we were not far removed from World War II and the atomic oh, yeah. bomb. So nuclear testing was a big deal. So if you look at all these 19 mid to late 1950 monster movies, 90% of them were uh, atomic creatures of some kind. <laughs> You've got tarantula, which was the giant tarantula spider uh, spawned by an atomic test you've got them which is the movie about giant ants spawned by an atomic uh test mm -hmm. uh, and on and on and on but this was you know supposedly a native earth mm -hmm. creature not artificial so you know that was a little different for that time period hmm. right it's just some creature hanging out in the Black, Black Lagoon. Lagoon until it eventually went to San Francisco, it looks like, in the third yes. movie. <laughs> you know, I, I think one thing I like about this movie is they do a great job of making you feel, or, or at least for me, making me feel sympathetic to the creature. Uh, I cannot watch this movie without feeling bad for him. Well, yeah, because uh, what right, was it doing? Know. It was just hanging out. Or yeah, was, exactly. Was he was home. It's natural habitat. Exactly. And I fell in love. Who who can't understand love? <laughs> right, right, right. And so I, I feel like this is one of the uh one of the few monster movies that really uh kind of brings that pathos, you know, into it. Uh for you know, much of the audience is feeling sympathy sympathy for the devil as to speak. Yeah. Because it was, when she was in there, it was kind of like it was pawing at her, but it wasn't like, I'm going to maul and kill you now. Uh, the only time that it really starts, I mean, I guess it does attack and, and randomly kill those other guys. So it's not, you know, completely innocent. Uh, but for the main crew that were on, like, it doesn't really start, like, attacking them until they're, like, capturing it and putting it into cages. And even right, even yeah. then, like, when it kills the other guys, like, it's it's a creature that doesn't have the same it didn't grow up in human society you know it didn't and that's that's one thing i think um it's it's so interesting that shape of water having loved that movie and seen it now watching it, it's like okay i totally see where that character came from and how Guillermo del toro had uh an empathy for that character to then go write his water creature that is basically just this um but with an eye more of it being a creature with uh, with a mind and, and, and a sense of self, more right. so than maybe even this movie at times gives this creature. Like, I, I think a little bit of the what, what you're talking about there, Rick, like you feel, you feel a little bit bad for it. I think that might be maybe like a little bit of a maybe unintended uh, thing that came out of this film. Like, I don't know maybe if necessarily that was like what they had in mind as they were like writing and, and filming it. Um, but it's just like something that kind of came out in the final product. 
and, and it came out well. You're, I, and I think you're right. Well, thank you. I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> I well, this from something you were mentioning earlier. Some of the really good atmosphere and stuff. I did want to mention. Um, I, I wrote down this one shot that I really liked, um, which was when they're first going searching for it. Uh, when they kind of have an idea for it, and there's this shot, and it's like completely dark, and the only source of light is the the flashlight just on the ground, and you see just the monster footprints in there. Right. I was like, that's that, that like that was really well done. I really really liked that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just o- overall for we kind of already touched on this in a lot of ways, but just the some so for example, like on one hand, sometimes the water scenes were just like, okay, we're putting a camera right here, and like do some stuff right and there you know like by modern standards there'd probably be some more like quick cuts and dynamic angles or something um and in this case it really was just sort of like you know one angle let's see what we can get on camera here okay we're putting that in but it was still and i think you know you can't not watch this movie and not think about the time period that it came out in. So it's it, sometimes like we'll watch like shows on here, Rick or whatever. They're from like the nineties, you know, not so far away, but like, even right. though by today's standards, things have already changed and you, you watch and like, even if you're like, yeah, okay. It was the nineties. There's still sort of like, but it could have been so much better. Right. Whereas this movie, it's, it really was probably dealing with what was, what what um, media was capable with at the time. So I was much more forgiving as far as the way that it was presented, but also found enjoyment in that. I mean, so I basically, so just as, the way that I watched it, it was nighttime. My partner and I, we sat on the couch, we made some popcorn, turned the lights off, just like really set the mood for the, for the thriller. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun to, to sort of watch it that way and kind of get into the zone um and yeah it just the 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 atmosphere and the cinematography really spoke to me in that way i love that story of how you guys watched it that (laughs) that you can't see me but that just makes me smile i love that story thank you there there was one shot towards the beginning where um when the the guy who was in the amazon goes to get um david and Kay and it's it's obviously like a green screened shot, you know, old timey green screen. Um, that right. was really kind of the only time, though, where I noticed like, oh, OK, like that's, you know, obviously they're working within the limitations. They couldn't go film at this great like, they're you know, they're filming on a set because that's so much cheaper and easier to do than going out to wherever this actual cliff is they're wanting to show. But then everything after that. Um, when they're back in the Black Lagoon and they're they're in the Amazon, it's obviously like these sets and like these these places they built. Um, so you don't ever really run into that again, where there's that little bit of that dissonance that I have sometimes with the films from like the the fifties, where it's like okay, like that that is so not the background. Um, that is so obviously like not where you are. And I, and I understand you're working with the limitations of your time and, and it's looking as good kind of as it can. Um, but I, I like it so much better when they are on these actual sets and sure those rocks are made out of foam for sound purposes, but they still look better than, you know, trying to green screen them in. Um, and like the underwater shots, like Nick, you're right. You know, it's probably heavy equipment to be able to film underwater back then. So they kind of just had these like fixed angles of the shots. Um, but it still, you know, it still like was effective and worked and they got, they got good swimmers. Um, I mean, it, it does do a lot. They got somebody who can hold their breath 
for that long. Right. Um, and then you'd get those front on shots of the monster on land and you'd be able to see the guy's tongue moving around in there. And those I found a little bit more amusing. Um, oh, I don't think I even noticed that. Like I, yeah, I, I don't think I noticed anything. I thought for, for what it was like the suit, um, I, I, I mean, I, I I get that it was a man in a suit, right? But like it, it wasn't as obvious as like, hey, there's a zipper on the back. You know what I mean? Like right. it still it looks, looks really sort of alien. Well exactly. Yeah, it's a well-made suit. This is this is not your typical 1950s monster movie, um, and I think one of the reasons for that is some of those were just so over the top ridiculous. Uh, you know, a, 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 a an atomic test that makes a spider grow to 500 times <laughs> its normal size. That's ridiculous. You know, yeah. a colony of ants the size of semi trucks. That's that's ridiculous. But an unknown creature in an unexplored area, that's a real possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, even in the 2020s, we're discovering new creatures all the time. Uh, so in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, this is this is possible. Yeah, there's there's something to it there. They didn't have the the creature stomping through a town and it's these very obvious like minis where the building looks pretty good, but everything around it is obviously just like construction paper kind of put down. And here's like a big fake fuzzy foot that's going to be crushing it. Um, it, it does right. play in that realm of, of possibility in the same way that you can also see how, sh- how I almost said shark, <laughs> you know, that movie shark that we've all seen um, jaws, how the right. movie jaws is probably kind of a bit, influenced by this as well and that same sort of idea of and i know jaws is based on a book um, but still that like came many years later of like it could be i think it's because the the water um is this big unknown and like am the amazon there's areas of the amazon we've never explored that are kind of these like unknowns and you can make a similar movie kind of like in the Grand Canyon, because there's parts of the Grand Canyon that no human being has ever set foot in. So like you could make a movie of like, well, there's this thing that lives down there and, and comes out and eats the occasional hiker. Um, and it would kind of have that. It, it would be more effective because you're right. It's not a giant spider <laughs> crushing this town. It is like it is. I think the fact that he's human sized, you know, it looks human, but it's not human like that does something. Right to us right i like that it was isolated that i mean it helped certainly with the, the sort of horror or thriller element like when they were trapped and they couldn't get the boat through um but i also like that it wasn't you know where like how does this impact the greater world like it shows up in you know san francisco and um i don't know what that sound effect was um it it, it, it you only really had to care about the immediate characters um you know, you, you spent enough time with them that you maybe cared about their plight. Um, and it didn't try to do anything more. Like when the movie ends, it basically is like, he gets shot, they rescue the girl, he kind of sinks down end. deep and done. Yeah. His poor little body floating down there. All he wanted was just uh, a girlfriend. All so, he wanted was love. All he, don't we all? Um, that's That's true. That's true. Um, well, but is the is the the creature that shows up in the sequels is it the same one or is it presumed it, a different one? I think it, it is. is the same one. Um, <gasps> so you know they show him, and the the closing scene of this movie is him just kind of like sinking down into the water. Um, 
but he comes back in Revenge of the Creature, which is a surprisingly good movie also. Um, they did a really good job with that. And then a few years later with The Creature Walks Among Us, which has some high points, but like so many third films of trilogies, just does not quite measure up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have been happy had they uh, left it at two. Oh, the second one uh, here, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Apparently, it was Clint Eastwood's film debut. It was. Oh, he plays a, a yes, it was. <laughs> he plays a, a lab. I'm not sure if he's a lab assistant. He's on screen for maybe 35 seconds. Yeah, uh, lab, lab technician I mean, Jennings look, is his name. I, I'm sorry, what was that? No, it was lab technician Jennings is apparently his yes, name. But, you know, you can definitely tell it's Clint Eastwood, although he looks like he's about 21 years old. <laughs> um, that that reminds me of one thing that I, a random fact that I know that I really like is that Bruce Willis's film debut is walking out of a diner while Frank Sinatra is walking into a diner. That was his first role in a movie. Oh my That's goodness! Cool. What movie was that? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Uh, if I if I remember, I'll if I, I'll try to look it up. If I can find it, I'll I'll send it to you. But I don't know off the top of my head. Fun fact, my mom, according to my mom, so you have to believe my mom is true, but apparently she had a dance with Clint Eastwood one time back in the day. Really? Yeah. I, it's it's interesting, too, because I remember as a kid, um, probably way sooner than I should have been watching them, but my mom introduced me to, uh, me and my, my other younger siblings, to some of like the Clint Eastwood classics, you know, Dirty Harry. Um, this is the one I remember the most. There was a couple other ones. Someone with a scissors that get stabbed not important but either way apparently my mom they met at a bar um and and danced and those are the only details i really remember but um clint eastwood was almost my dad i think <laughs> wow i don't think right. that's how that works but it is how it works david okay, it is story. how it works <laughs> have you ever seen scott eastwood and i in the same room that's all i'm saying yes actually several times damn <laughs> Is there anything as we're getting close to the end here? Is there anything we haven't talked about yet that anybody wants to bring up? You know, I just think it's a great movie and it's it's not just for me, it's not just the nostalgia of sitting and watching it with a bowl of popcorn with my with my uncle Bob, which by the way, when we watch Fingooly on Saturday nights here at home, uh my wife always pops a big bowl of popcorn. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things that kind of takes me back to childhood, and I appreciate that so much. But it, it's just, it's a good movie. It's mm-hmm. it, it's suspenseful. I love the fact that um, there's not a lot of blood and gore, but there's a lot of suspense. There's a lot of shadows. Um, you know, nothing really is over the top in this movie. Uh, I feel like it's well acted, generally. Uh, I feel like it's well written. The music is just amazing in this movie. Um, I just love it. I will say to the to the acting, I, I agree. I especially thought, um, and now I'm forgetting people's names. I was Julie Adams, especially. There's just a couple of scenes early on where I was like, oh, you know what? That is like that's really good. I get like another thing that like really endeared me to that character of like mm-hmm. they really kind of let her have a personality and then not just be that like that doctor and. Uh, plus, you get to see some really hunky fifty guys, fifty uh, guys. Also, like some, <laughs> when they're walking out with their, with their out their shirts. I'm like, okay, what are your workout routines, guys? Like, these are- it just me. So my my wife pointed this out, but does uh, Julie Adams look like um, Kobe Smulders 
from How I Met Your Mother, Robin. Oh, a little bit. I can see oh, that. Oh, I see can that. You see, can you see I it? absolutely see that. Yeah. So you, you, she now can they, feel they know who to cast in the maybe someday reboot, uh, remake, whatever. They were they were going to have Gal Gadot play the leading role. I don't know if it would be like the same character, but that when they were doing the Universal Dark Universe monster films, whatever, um, that's who they were going to have play the role or play the 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 main role. I'll say. Mm-hmm. I could see her doing really well in that. Yeah, I actually think, I don't know. I I think that you could make a new good movie with this creature, but you'd have to like, you'd have to keep a lot of the sensibilities of this film in there. You have to make it very isolated. Uh, You have to, even though it was unintended at the time, you know, go the little bit of the shape of water route and, and have it, amp up the sympathy for it of like you know this is a this is a when we're saying creature we're saying like animal you know it's not like a monster this is a thing that's just hanging out in its home that people suddenly start coming around and and stomping about and it has every right to protect itself and protect its home more so than we do maybe going around and meddling in its affairs uh you would need to get the right writing team and people behind that but i think that you could do that today fairly effectively Starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I mean, he's okay. starring as the monster. Okay, now we're on to something. <laughs> Get him in the suit, and I'm in. Worth it might work. It very, very well could. Well, this is the part of the show. We, we got a little bit of it there from you, Rick, um, but we'll still ask, is this a movie that is worth revisiting today, or is it something that stays in the Hall of Memories? What do you think, Rick? Oh, no, it's absolutely worth revisiting, and it's worth watching if you have not seen it before. Um, Good story, good music, good acting. Um, They do a good job of, you know, making you feel sympathetic towards the creature, uh, intentional or not. Um, I I think it's just a really well-done movie that has held up well through the years. I appreciate the fact that nothing in this movie is is like over the top, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Nick mentioned earlier, I think it was Nick, uh, about the monster, you know, stomping on the building and you know just all this over the top stuff. This is this is a very subtle movie. There's a lot of nuances to it, mm-hmm. um, so I think it holds up really, really well, and it stays it stays in regular rotation. Excellent. Nick, what do you think is somebody who had never seen this movie before? Yeah, I mean, it. I think it is, I agree with Rick, it, it, as someone who's brand new to it, right, it's, it is worth checking out. I mean, you, you have to go into it knowing exactly the time period it came out in and, and all of that. Like, you have to be willing to watch. You know, it's almost like playing an old, uh, like a, a, a pixel video game. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's still something to be like, I don't think black and white film, you know, for say it is a stylistic choice now, whereas maybe back then it was a necessity. Um, but it's, it's not a, a dated, it, it doesn't have to be a dated aesthetic per se. It doesn't have to feel like you're dredging something out of the museum. So even though there's a lot of aspects of this film that are very much of its time, um, it, it, it was enjoyable to watch. My wife and I had fun. Um, it's just, you know, accept it for what it is. And, and I don't think you can go wrong. I'm with you on that. 
I think this is a movie that around Halloween time I'll probably be revisiting, and I would encourage people uh, to do the same. It's it's a movie that I you know I I thought maybe I would be recommending like when we started be like well you know if you're really into um, you know, if you're really into horror movies or like these old films, like great. But if you haven't seen it before, maybe not going to be for you. But after watching it and really, really enjoying it, I think if you're not into horror movies um, or into older films, like it might not be for you. But if you don't have an aversion to either of those things, you don't need to be like extremely interested in them to be be interested in this film or watch it. Um, I think as long as you don't have an aversion to maybe horror movies, and I would say even as far as horror movies go, you know, it's not like a Friday the 13th or a um, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, where it's got right. some good atmosphere. Um, this is like a, a good one that you can still watch and, and not have to worry about having nightmares. But, you know, next time something brushes you when you're swimming in, in <laughs> the water, you might have a, a second thought. Um, but everything, everything, as we've said, you know, music's good. Acting's good. Um, it's it's not very long, so hey, that's a bonus for it. It's a movie that I, I would definitely recommend to people, and I will myself be watching again. It was it was very enjoyable. Rick, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, man. I had a ball. Uh, Nick, nice to meet you once again. Congratulations. I am so happy for you, even though we've never met. <laughs> thank uh, you. I, I'll take it. <laughs> but you know, best decision I ever made was to get married, uh, and. Uh, I just, I'm going to trust that that's the best decision you'll ever make, too. And, David, it's good to meet you, too. Thank you so much. Oh, it's great to meet you as well. Happy to have you on here. If people want to hear uh, your podcast, I don't I don't know if I, I, I don't think I, I gave you the the time at the top, and I, I apologize. I, I forgot to. Um, Your show, Rick's Ramblings, what is that show about, and where can people find it? So it's called Rick's Rambles, and it's a mix of nostalgia. Uh, It's a mix of fun facts. Nick, I thought that was intentional when you said fun facts earlier this evening. Uh, No, Uh, I I say fun (laughs) facts a lot. Uh, Every week I do a feel-good, inspirational story of the week. I do some personal observations. Um, So just a very brief background. Um, My wife and I are both professional entertainers. Uh, I'm a musician and a stand-up comedian, and my wife is a is a musician. We're both songwriters. Uh, 2019, before COVID hit, uh, we did 200 dates all over. Ooh, wow. Uh, spent a lot of time on the road. Well, and of course, 2020, COVID hit, and um, that all came to pretty much a screeching halt. Um, and I, I've always viewed entertaining entertaining as a world as a way to make the world a better place. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to kind of, while I'm stuck here at home, I'm going to do a podcast. And I found out I really enjoy it. You know, at 60, almost 65 years of age, I dipped my toe into podcasting and and I'm having a ball with it. So it's lighthearted. It's positive. It's called Rick's Rambles. And you can find it on any uh, podcast provider. Excellent. People, check it out. Nick, thanks for being here, bud. Likewise, as always, uh, you can find me on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art or on Twitter at palblamshazam. And if people want to find me, that's Davluz, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. And of course, you can find the show's socials and how to reach us at hitmeonemoretime.com slash contact. We'd love to hear from you. Listening audience, 
Thank you so much for being here today. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!